I, I find myself, hold on here, you're going to have to run everything back there, my iPad just went, pfft. this is a week for technology, I tell you what, anyway, as I come to the message this morning, I, I find myself intrigued with, with these things. These, these glasses are, are something that I now have to find myself wearing more and more often as, as I come to reading, especially reading the scriptures. Not because my vision is going yet. I have 2020, but there, there's this thing that's called dyslexia. And when I put these on, it allows me to see certain things a little more correctly. I view, especially the scriptures, better with these lenses. They put a nice yellow tint on everything I look at. So all of you are nice and yellow, but... But it allows things to come into focus and, and clarity and not move around on the page so much, especially when words are mixed with numbers. And I don't know about your copy of the scriptures, but mine has numbers all over the place. That is one of the reasons you'll find that when the verses are up here on the screen, I tend to look at it because there's not a verse number right next to it. This has been a huge blessing for me as is the screen back there when I can look at it. You see, the, the perspective or what I look through with these lenses allows me to see things more correctly. It, it brings things into view as they should be seen more accurately. As, as we come to our, our passage today, my, my chief concern is that we will look at what Paul is, is talking about, his example that he's demonstrating to us, and we will fail to see the perspective that he's demonstrating for you and I that we should have as we live our life as well. Paul has done a beautiful job of that. But we can too quickly come to this passage and go, that's nice. I'm glad that, that Paul is able to, to go through this this way and fail to have employ this perspective in our own hearts, our own minds. So today as we come to these scriptures, I want to encourage you to, to have, so to speak, the, the same lens that Paul is looking at his circumstances with in, in your life and mine. Paul, as he writes this, remember, is chained to a Roman guard as he pens the words in chapter 1 of Philippians, beginning in verse 12. Please join with me. I wonder sometimes what the guard was thinking as Paul was, was dictating this to be written. 
He says, now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment, in the case of Christ, has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Imagine being that guard as, as Paul is saying this and go, whoa, what are you writing about me? Oh, listen, listen, it's going to be great. And Paul continues on. And that most of all the, of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. But some also from goodwill. The latter do it for love of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Imagine being that guard going, you're rejoicing? I don't know, maybe the guard was a brother in Christ as he's written this. He's like, amen, preach it, brother Paul. I don't know. Paul says again, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that in all boldness Christ will even now as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. I tell you what, this, that must have just been an amazing day sitting there with Paul, as Paul is talking about this, sitting chained to a Roman guard and hearing these words come out of his mouth. What a perspective of life. I, I want to ask several questions of you this morning as we consider this passage. And my first question for you, and I really want you to think about this, is how do you view the gospel? How do you view the gospel? Is it merely just fire insurance? And I say that tongue-in-cheek, but there are some who view the gospel, their faith in Jesus Christ, merely as fire insurance to keep them out of hell to go to this wonderful place called heaven. If that is you today, oh, I challenge you to check your heart. Secondly, there are those who see that it is the truth they are staking their eternity. By the way, eternity is a really long time if you begin to think about it. 
They are staking their eternity on the gospel. It is the driving force in which and by which they live their life day in and day out, regardless of circumstances. It is the lens in which they view life. And I find that most people will find themselves in one camp or the other. Probably not going so far as to say, yeah, I've got fire insurance. But if you look at their life day in, day out, the way they talk, the way they act, the way they live, it is merely fire insurance. Because it has no impact in who they are or how they live. Consider with me briefly what the gospel is according to Scripture. The gospel, in its, its purest form, is the good news about Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to do something for me right now. Um, I know we have Scriptures up here. But I want you to take out your copy of God's Word. Hold it up, whether it's a phone or a printed copy. I know some have phones and stuff. You're going to hold that up. Okay, now, and I know you can do this on a phone too. Okay, there might be a pin in the back seat. If there is a pin, I want you to hold up, uh, not hold up the pin, but grab that pin. I'm going to ask you to do something if you are one of those who's comfortable writing in their Bible. So get ready. We're, we're not going to do a Bible drill. You don't have to be like, got it! Okay, no, that's all right. It's not a wanna. It's not youth group or something. We'll, but I want you to turn in these pages. The first verse you're going to turn to is already up on the screen, so you can get a head start here. Because I think sometimes we, we talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. You hear the pastor saying, I want you to share Jesus Christ. I want you to share the gospel. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you with this at the end of the service. So, spoiler alert, okay? So take notes. Literally. Now, with dyslexia and numbers and all of that, you, Awana was horrible for me. Oh my goodness, I could never get the verse reference right. I mean, the numbers bounced around. I still, to this day, struggle with telling you, someone's like, hey, pastor, where is this verse at? I'm like, oh, crud. Because I'll take you to the right book. I can tell you where it is on the page. I cannot tell you that reference hardly for squat diddly. Because the numbers just bounce around all over the place. So if you need help, like your pastor does, here's what I do. Let's, let's turn to John 3.16, okay? And then John 3.16, when you turn there, you can take that pin, or you can make a note right there in your digital device, and, and you're going to write the next verse you're going to go to. Okay, John 3.16 is one of those that I have actually been able to get the numbers correct, okay? So start there, because John 3.16 is a beautiful verse in encapsulating the gospel. Listen to what it says. For God, you can put it up on the screen now. Okay, there it is, but I want you to see it in your copy. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
That is the gospel, folks. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. God sent His Son for you and I. Those who believe in Him shall have eternal life. Praise God! But you know what? You want to take people to the Scriptures. You want to show them. So at the top of the page, write down just R-O-M or Romans, whatever you want, 3.23. I, I have it on my Bible. You can see it right at the top of the page. I'm like, yes, that's where I'm going next. And we go to Romans 3.23. See, the problem is, is you, you have to share with people they're sinners. For most people, you don't have to convince them they've sinned. If you've known them long enough, you've already seen one of their sins. If it's one of your children, they know your sin. I know, I know. All right, so... <laughs> All of us sin. I love the way my son explained sin one time in the playground at a McDonald's. He asked a kid, he's only four years old, he could barely talk. It was when we were excited that he was talking. Now we can't shut him up. But, but he asked the kid, are you a sinner? He goes, sin is, is doing bad things, disobeying. What a beautiful way to put it, isn't it? Have you ever disobeyed? Oh, yeah. I mean, every kid really knows they've disobeyed. And he shared the gospel with him right there in the playground. My prayer is he never loses that boldness to share Christ. 17 now. But you go to Romans 3.23, and you show them not your opinion that they've sinned, but God's word. And God's word is very clear. Look at Romans 3.23. For all... How many? All. Very good. You're quick learners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That fall short is a beautiful um, archer's term. It's called a sin. Sin is actually missing the mark. If you don't hit dead bullseye, you fall short. Perfection is what God expects. None of us meet that. And we sin. We fall short of his expectation. At the top of that page, you can write Genesis 3 if you want. We're not going to go there. But Genesis 3 is a beautiful um, account of when sin entered mankind. All the way back at the garden. But also write up there Romans 6.23. You're just going to have to turn the page unless you have really fine print. Then it's on the same page. But typically you turn the page to Romans 6. 23. And you have to share with these folks that because you sin, because I sin, that means that we are going to die. That's a bummer. That's not fun to share with people that sin brings death. That's quite the consequence, isn't it? And they're like, really? Yeah, look what God's word says. Romans 6, 23. Look there. It says this. For the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord what a message we all understand wages we earn wages do we not you go to work you earn the wages that you bring home when you and i sin we earn death that is what we deserve we have earned it. 
right next to that verse, I want you to write Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Because as you do that, you're going to be able to explain to them this gift of salvation. You're going to get to explain to them that it is, it's given, not earned. As a father on our kid's birthday, as a father at Christmas, I give my children a gift. When they open it up and they're thrilled with what they got, I don't go, okay, that'll be, and give them the price and have them pay me for it. It would cease to be a gift. And trust me, it would not be looked forward to. It would be a burden upon them. And Ephesians beautifully explains that gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, look at it with me. For by grace, oh, we sang about that grace, did we not? For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You take him back to John 3, 16. He gave his son. What a gift. Not as a result of works. Why is it not a result of works? Well, he answers it right there. So that no one may boast. This morning I stand before you a child of, of God. Not because I'm some great person. Not because I'm a pastor Not because I've studied the Bible. I stand here a child of God because Jesus Christ died for my sin. He was buried and he rose again. And I have placed my faith not in what I do. I have placed my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's through that lens of the gospel. That message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Paul lives his life for now. Every circumstance he views through that lens of the gospel message that he is compelled to share. What a message. How do you view your circumstances how do your circumstances impact your attitude how do you view we're going to look at Paul's view but I want you to think about how you view I, I love the quote from the Holocaust survivor Victor Frankl he says everything can be taken from a man but one thing he would know the last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances if we pursue happiness instead of choosing joy will become as he says playthings of circumstance given any day of the week your circumstances can take you from high to a low And everywhere in between. 
Paul, as he is in his situation, as he is writing this letter to the believers there in Philippi, Paul could very easily look at his circumstances and be, woe is me. How many of you, let me just ask, this last week were tempted, I'm not going to ask if you did, I just want to know if you were tempted to have a woe is me attitude. Man, we have some spiritual people in this crowd. This is so encouraging. Or we have some very honest ones and others who really don't care to let people know. I was tempted to have a woe is me attitude. And then I'm coming here preparing this message and I'm like, shame on you, Pastor Jed. Oh, here you are, a pastor, having this attitude. Oh, it's a daily hourly, minute-by-minute struggles some days, is it not? And Paul, who could have gone on and on about his circumstances, says this about his circumstances. Did you catch this? Listen to what he says. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, he covers them all with one word. I mean, if you want to know his circumstances, go to Acts. Dr. Luke does an amazing job recording his circumstances in chapters 21 through 28. First of all, he's taken prisoner. He goes to trial. It's not a legal trial. So he he demands an audience with Caesar in Rome. En route to Rome, he's on a prison ship. That's bad enough. But then, all of a sudden, that ship... Is, is in a storm, it crashes, he's deserted on an island as a prisoner, he gets bit by a snake, that would really, I, I don't like snakes, okay, that would really be like the icing on the cake right there, right? He finally gets to Rome, he's now a prisoner in Rome, he's chained to a, a Roman soldier day in, day out, for two years. Paul doesn't go into all of that. He just says, hey guys, I want you to know that my circumstances, (laughs) he's not focusing there. His focus is is total joy and and elation over, over what God is doing, over the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul wanted to go to Rome to be a preacher. A preacher for the gospel. Oh, I can imagine his plan, his strategy, laying that out before God and saying, Wow, God, if we could get to Rome, if we could go before Caesar, and and they could catch the, the wonderful gift that you have given, oh, it could spread to the world, God. Oh, let me be your preacher. And God's like, okay, you're going to be a prisoner. Instead of a preacher... Paul's now a prisoner. Paul's perspective of it, he rejoices because, guys, look! He goes, I got to write to you about the progress of the gospel. Can you imagine being that Roman soldier going, what? 
You've been through all of this. You're not even going to write about that. You're just excited about the gospel? Paul's like, oh, you better believe it. I wonder if Paul paused right here to explain to that poor Roman soldier who just didn't get it. I wonder if he was like, think about it. We'll call the Roman guard um, Bob, okay? He's like, think about it, Bob. Every day a new soldier comes in and I get to tell him about Jesus all day long. As that soldier goes back, he goes back and tells his family, you would not believe the things I heard from this prisoner. And he'd come back the next day and Paul would tell him more. Then they would rotate him out. After that guard gets saved, Bob's like, you know, hey, you know, Jim over there, we got to tell Jim. I'm going to have him be your guard next week, okay? Paul's like, this is good. Over and over for two years, new guards coming in. Pretty soon these guards are telling the servants in, in Caesar's household, they're like, you wouldn't believe this prisoner. He is so excited and joyous. And he has this message, unlike any message I've ever heard before, of this Jesus. The gospel being shared over and over Paul's writing the Philippians and he's like, you wouldn't believe it. The believers here in Rome, in the capital of the world, the believers here are getting a boldness. Did you see that in verse 14? I mean, this is his excitement here. Look at verse 14 with me. And that most of the brethren... Trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment. Paul's recognizing because I've been imprisoned here. Have far more courage. Speak the word of God without fear. Paul's like, I couldn't ask for more. Not only are are people and soldiers and people in Caesar's household coming to Christ, but those who know Jesus are bold with the message because of me being in prison. Paul is not looking at his circumstances to bring him joy. Rather, he's looking at his circumstances through that lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, look what God is doing. When I look at the gospel and I see how God, he's like, my plan could have never done this. Look what God did. Paul even has the reality to look at the people around him. Paul's not blind. Paul isn't dumb or stupid and totally ignorant of of people around him and what they're trying to do. But he's not going to let that dictate his attitude. His view. There's some mean people 
I could have used some other words and stuff, but I just stuck with mean. Because whether you're in elementary school, in preschool, you understand mean kids. You get into junior high, there's some mean kids. High school, you're like, oh, finally, college, there's still mean kids. You get done with college, you're like, I'm done with that. There's mean bosses, mean co-workers, mean neighbors. There's just mean people. How many of you would agree with that? Some of you aren't being honest still. You're like, Pastor, we are not a hand-raising church. That's true. Okay, all right, well, I'll give you that. (laughs) It's a question, okay? You know. But there's two groups here. You know, there's the bold group that Paul's like, praise Jesus. And then there's the group, well, they're, they're preaching the gospel, but they're doing it out of envy and strife. Now, I don't know fully what that looked like, what was going on. We don't get a really good picture of that, but I can imagine what was happening because you know what? We still live in a day with mean people. And they exist within the church. But, but think about it. Maybe they were just jealous. Here it is, Paul. And everybody's like, oh my goodness, Paul. You know, the great evangelist, the apostle. Oh my goodness, they want to hear Paul. They're all going to his prison cell just to hear him teach. Maybe they're just jealous of his fame or popularity. I don't know. I will tell you, as a pastor, sometimes... I've looked at other pastors that just, I mean, they they had standing room only, and I'm like, that'd be nice. I want to share Jesus. I would love that the room was packed for people to hear the, the scripture. Maybe, maybe they thought they could share better. Maybe they're like, you know, Paul is so old school, you know. I mean, he should really try using flannel graph. I mean, it is like the newest thing out there and and stuff. Um, I don't... (laughs) I'm sorry, I just saw one of the kids go, what's flannel graph? (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) see, old school. I mean, now we have projectors, right? I mean, maybe they were thinking Paul is so old school, he could really reach the next generation if he just stepped up his game. (laughs) We're going to go out there and show them how it's done. Maybe they're jealous that way. Maybe they're saying, you know, Paul is so old, but man, follow us, okay? I I don't know. Maybe, maybe they thought that, you know, Paul, he still likes those old slow songs, but we like the fast songs and stuff. And so they're like, hey, you know, we'll present it this way. I, you know, it's almost like there was starting to be denominations back then. And I understand that there's preferences. But one of the things that breaks my heart so much in the church today is that we allow those preferences to separate, to cause strife amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about that. Paul, I want you to note here is 
is stating that they're sharing the gospel. Not heresy. These folks were sharing the truth of Jesus Christ. They were doing it. Maybe they thought, you know, they were really irritated. Maybe Paul rubbed them wrong one day. And they're like, we'll just make it miserable for him in prison. We'll start preaching the gospel even bolder so that they go and make his time there harder. I I don't know. People do some things sometimes for wrong reasons. But Paul is not here, and he would call out heresy. Trust me, read some of his other letters. He calls out heresy. But they're preaching the gospel. Their intentions are wrong, but their message is right. And Paul rejoices in that fact. I wonder if while he's sitting there, Scripture encouraged him. Think about the Scriptures he would go to. Genesis chapter 50. He could recall an individual that he had read and studied and memorized so many times by the name of Joseph. And Joseph would would say this of his imprisonment, of his hardships and circumstances that he went through. He would say, as for you, you meant it for evil against me. He calls it what it is. But he says, but God meant it for good in order to bring about the present result to preserve many people alive. Paul is recognizing that these people have ill intentions. But guess what? People are coming to Jesus Christ through salvation. And he says, praise the Lord. I mean, he really does say praise the Lord. I mean, look at verse 18. Verse 18, he says... What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I... Some of you got it. And in this, I... Yeah, he is rejoicing over the fact that Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. That's his focus. Not other people. Oh, church, so quickly we can get distracted by other people and we can lose sight of what's important one last question how do you view this life how do you view this life think of Paul's situation he's in Rome Rome considers him a traitor the Jews consider him a a heretic he's sitting in in a prison cell He's going to be facing trial. He doesn't know the result of that trial. It could very likely be death. And death in Rome was not a pretty thing. Look how he faces this. Not in fear, but faith. Look, he he begins this whole thing with, yes, And I will rejoice as he shares these circumstances of the trial coming, his unknown destination after that. He rejoices. Look at why, first of all, he is confident in prayer. He's confident in prayer, in their prayers for him, in his prayers before God Almighty. And prayer brings a confidence and a boldness in the heart of the believer. Speaking of which, I need three new volunteers for our missionaries to pray for them. Three hands. We got one, two, three. Good. 
our missionaries on the field, away from home, away from being able to gather like this on a Sunday morning, need your prayers. They often will feel just as alone as as Paul in that prison cell. And they face circumstances. But not only was he confident in prayer, he was ready to be a testimony. He was ready to share. Did you see how he's ready to share? Paul has an eternal mindset. He looks at this life as just a blip. Not with fear and trepidation, but with faith. He knows that anything in this life is just a speck in light of eternity. In his view, his mindset is for the impact he can have for eternity for Jesus Christ. He knows that those sitting around him, that Roman soldier that comes in having a bad day, maybe chooses to make life just a little more miserable that day. Paul understands his destiny is hell. If he doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, his destiny is hell and eternity separated from Jesus Christ, from God Almighty. And it's through that lens that he views that soldier. It's through that lens that he looks at his circumstances and says, that man needs to know. That neighbor needs to know. That boss needs to know. Coworker, fellow student, friend, enemy, needs to know. And Paul enjoys sharing the gospel. We looked at it as we began. Paul has a biblical worldview. Everything in in Paul's life is viewed through the lens of Scripture. He doesn't look at Scripture through the lens of all the circumstances, the junk and the filth and the, and the heartache of life. No, he looks at all of those things through the lens of Scripture and sees the need of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he is able to write to these people with joy. Church, It's time that we begin to live day in, day out with a biblical world view. Because there's a lost world out there. And when we look at the world through the lens of Scripture, it corrects things. It allows us to see things as they need to be seen. Clear. Accurate. And in doing such, it allows you and I to live 
joyously. I want to challenge you to think about your circumstances. No doubt some of you have already been thinking about what tomorrow holds or this afternoon holds and those circumstances are not something you're looking forward to. I get it. I understand. But God has a purpose. Which lens are you going to look at those circumstances through? I want to challenge you that God has put you there for a purpose, and I want to challenge you to boldly share the hope that we have with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, that you would send your Son God, that we would have the opportunity to testify not only of what your Son has done for us, but the world around us. God, I pray that you would give your church a boldness for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, through that boldness that we would see individuals coming to an understanding, a relationship with Jesus Christ, God, I pray this for our church. I pray this for other churches in our community who love you, who preach the gospel. God, that we would have that together, that we would stop striving against each other, but God, there would be a unity for the gospel. May you be glorified. So Lord, we ask this, and we need this through the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.